It's unfair. Warning from the back to tank contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue. We would be honored if you would join us. Workups on your condition indicate that all damage has been reversed. Recovery is total. I believe you have been quite fortunate. No further thanks are necessary, Commander, but you are most welcome. It is my function and pleasure as a metaphor to help and heal human beings. I am a Jedi, like my father before me. All right, hello, welcome to Star Wars from the Back to Tank. We are living it up, splish splashing in the back to waters, and we are very excited because David, today is Legends Wednesday. Yes, it's quickly becoming one of my favorite days of the week. (laughs) It, It is. It is for myself also because. It, it's really great to revisit some of the things that made us Star Wars fans. Yeah, agreed. 100%. That's exactly how I feel about it. These are the things, these are the reasons why I'm an advocate for Star Wars, a hardcore Star Wars fan. And it will also shed a little bit of light on us to our listeners, Dave, when you think about it. Well, these are the characters we were drawn to. These are the storylines we love. And it kind of gives our new listeners, people who didn't know us in the 90s and the early 2000s, a little bit of a snapshot and an understanding behind the types of fans we are. Yeah. Because the stuff that we like from Legends, it definitely says something about us, does it not? Oh, absolutely. Because, like, you, we always, me and you always talk about the dark times in Star Wars, but in actuality, they weren't really dark times. Because when you think about it, It was a golden age for Star Wars because of all the creativity that was going on at this time. Yeah. You had to make something out of nothing. Pretty much nothing because a few ideas here and there, whatever George Lucas would throw your way, a few scraps. Here you go, guys. Take that. You ravage it. Go ahead. As As I tell people, imagine that you had to, during a time, come up with ideas for something that only is three movies. Oh, yeah. No way. No yeah. way. You can't do it because you're, you'd are you be so afraid of, oh, well, I got to throw this character in. Why, why do you? Why do you right. have to bring in that character? Uh, because it's cool. Yeah. But why don't you throw someone else? Isn't there anybody else in the galaxy to do the job? <laughs> and and it, when you look back at the books, they really had to reach and be creative and bring in things that – by today's standards, you would look at it and say, oh, my God, that's so silly. A green hair, a green rabbit. <laughs> yes, Dave, it is silly, but it's also there's some charming aspects that's of charm. it. There's a charm to it. Yes. And there's things that are not just charming, but fucking cool where you're like, oh, my God, that is awesome. Yes. When can we get that again? Uh, especially in the topic or material that we're going to jump in today, which is 
a comic book from 1977. Okay. And it's Star Wars number 16, originally published <laughs> July 25th, 1978. Issue 16. We had talked about this a couple weeks ago. Introduces Baylard. Baylard Valance. Manliest man in the galaxy. <laughs> the most masculine man. You used to think it was Vader or maybe Han Solo. No, it's no. it's Baylor Valance. He's a man. Dude, the, the tagline on this cover makes me just grin evilly and grin so happily because death and destruction are his tools. The Star Warriors are his targets. Oh my god, that's so eighties. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. It's so seventies so is what you should say. Seventies. Oh yeah, seventies. Eh, the seventies style did bleed into the eighties. Yeah, you know? you're right. Because like you can I, call it a little bit of both, a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. Now, me and you, me and you have covered Baylor Valance it, 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 already, but this is this honestly is such a nostalgic character for me because it harkens not just back to Star Wars, but the time he was created. Yes. Like he was in the edge of the action heroes, you know, the late seventies, early eighties, when suddenly you started seeing like this renaissance of action movies. And we also had the tail end of the exploitation era as tail well. Tail end of the exploitation era. You had like characters like Mad Max, Rocky, Rambo, start coming out yeah and you know the the nostalgic factor what made the expendables right like decades later so cool because people would go see it just because you want to see something like the over-the-top action hero and valance was that and then some because he was he was portrayed as like that action hero but he was portrayed as a bad guy as an yeah. anti-hero. Right. And we the reason why we chose this topic is because we are totally into Robbie Thompson's current Target Vader series is going God, on right now that. on Marvel, which is about Baylor Valance. And Cadet Solo was another series that Robbie had worked on. Yes. And he actually previously reintroduced that character last year, Baylart back into canon. Yes. Because obviously Robbie Thompson connected with this character from 1977 because he isn't uh, an overly popular character he wasn't in tons of issues i think at the most he was in five or six issues from the 70s yes from 78 to maybe moving into 79 maybe even 1980 but this is legends wednesday and that's why we're going to get into this particular issue here because we have gravitated to robbie thompson's work on Target Vader. We are covering it currently um, on Patreon. We covered the first issue for free. So if you guys want to scroll down the feeds, Dave, they can still find that show, Target Vader number one. And we're going to continue our discussion of Robbie Thompson's series on our Patreon. Just head over to patreon.com slash Rayman Digital and get a plethora of shows. Because people got to remember, we also do this five days a week. Yeah. Monday through Wednesday are the free broadcasts. Thursday and Friday are the exclusive shows for Patreon subscribers. So go to patreon.com slash Digital and pledge to take advantage of all the content we are doing. But getting back to Legends Wednesday, let's jump into this. This okay. is the first issue of Marvel's Star Wars series where the original Star Wars cast does not appear yes. other than in a recap sequence 
uh, and a little hollow vid or a tape recording of sorts is what they call it. Uh, this makes it the first licensed Star Wars story not to feature the original trilogy characters predating such stories later in the expanded universe franchise. The decision not to feature Luke and Leia, Chewbacca or the droids did not sit well with some readers. A few issues later, the Star World's letter column printing feedback regarding issue 16 contained one letter that read in its entirety. Let's have no more of this. <laughs> and I don't know what these fools were talking about. Because I would have wrote, let's have more, more of, of this. this. <laughs> I mean, you get the introduction of a new character into Star Wars that brings to the forefront the prejudice against droids that was briefly introduced in Star Wars A New Hope. And it makes me curious. This is an idea that really didn't fully materialize even again or ever in the movies after New Hope. Now, in this new era of Star Wars, since 2012, 2013, we have seen a, a definite effort to bring that idea back to the forefront in the form of, I don't know, I guess within the subtext, they're talking about civil rights. Yes. They're connecting it to a more social relevant movement. In today's world, uh, eh, I don't think that was George Lucas's intent. I really can't remember if he had ever spoken about this in an interview, why he had included that in New Hope. I know it was an ongoing kind of wink, wink and various other retconned legends material in the 90s where they would bring out about droids. Hey, we don't serve their kind. We don't serve them. We don't like them. But they never really expanded, expanded. on it. And the reason why I'm staying on this topic, because obviously it was an idea that George was still stick kicking around in 1978, a year after New Hope had premiered. That's very clear when you know Lucas had story approval of these issues. Yes. And then you create a character that passionately hates non-organics. That is what makes up. That's the genetic makeup of Baylert Valance yeah. in this issue, Star Wars number 16. He's he's a little different. He definitely hates the Empire, has it out for Vader, but we don't quite know why. why. And I'm sure it's very different than what was his motivation in these issues. And I think back then, just like with anything, any anything dealing with an uncomfortable su subject as racist uh, racism and discrimination i can understand why people might turn away from that because oh why are you why are we bringing this character in it's it, it makes us uncomfortable do you think that was originally what possibly lucas was trying to do we know he had worked for years on star wars right yes and i like to pride myself on the fact that i've watched every single interview with George Lucas in it, but possibly knowing that he might've written this years before it was produced. Right. It, what was the sixties, the civil rights civil era, rights right? Era. So possibly there was some type of maybe inspiration there with that, but then, Hey, we're moving into eighties. Now the civil rights movement is kind of a thing of the past. 
Uh, not that it wasn't relevant and there weren't still issues, but it wasn't as in your face. Well, the- and you got to look at the, the the landscape of filmmaking during that time when Lucas was a writer. I mean, you had Scorsese, you had all his all his peers at that time were tackling social matters right social justice matters so maybe that's what he was originally going to do you think possibly i honestly feel it, i wouldn't be surprised because I mean, at the end there of the is day, a... lucas is a writer lucas down in his down in his soul well, is still a creative writer and like with any writer you are inspired by the culture that's around you and we know he loves the black gals so <laughs> yes he does maybe you know, that's always been a part of him. Maybe it's something he did want to get into and just decided, hey, you know what? Let me have fun with this instead. Yes. I mean, not to mention, I mean, not to disregard the relevant political implications of much of his Star Wars stories. Even the the older, the original trilogy, I know some people point to those and say, oh, there's no politics in that. I'm like, well, you're dealing with a tyrannical empire. No politics? <laughs> really? You're dealing with a empire that's very familiar to the Nazi order. Yeah, with <laughs> with notes of the South, yes. the Confederate Army. Confederate Army. Those were his two source of inspirations for sources of inspiration for the empire. So, I mean, he was definitely saying something. He's definitely a thinker. We sometimes disregard George Lucas and just say, oh, you know, he's just a guy that likes to have fun and sell merchandise. No, somewhere no. in there, he was a thinker that got lost in commercialism. But look at the prequels. The prequels are, in my opinion, is some of the best movies in terms of politics and how uh, politicians put, you know, pawn themselves off as innocent and looking out for your best interests. Meanwhile, they're the ones controlling every part of our lives as if they're a puppeteer and we're the puppets. Yeah. It, it, it reminds me of like the interview. I, I remember watching an interview with George Lucas talking about filmmakers just in general. Right. And how Lucas always admired those filmmakers that showed bravery in their work, because it was obvious when you, when I watched the interview with him, he was talking about how, Akira Kurosawa was very brave in his work and willing to go on a limb and talk about something that will be uncomfortable for his audience, but he didn't care. What mattered to him was the art and the ability to tell a, give a story that will affect your audience. And Lucas, I remember in that interview saying that he was always enamored with that type of bravery and when you see something like this, this moment when he could have actually gone that route of telling a social social commentary on society, but then he backs off. It's understandable why he always said he admires those people who are brave because it's hard. Yeah, it's really hard to actually yeah. go out on a limb and tell a story that you know your audience is going to be affected. You just don't know how they're going to react. Yeah. And then Lucas's Lucas's uh I guess reaction to that would be to we've talked about this in the past, how creators just dumbed down, dumbed down their idea. Oh yeah. So it's easily acceptable by their audience. Right. And nowadays when you do that, it's just a, it's, it's just a bad thing. And it, it, it takes away from your work. Now, back then it might've been the safest thing for him because he's dealing with a franchise that he wants to make, money on it's right. his job and he doesn't want people especially like today we see it today 
fans will bash you to will the they? point. Fans will bash you. No, they're loving. Fans will bash you till your project is buried and they bury the project and then you're or just force you to retire and force sell, you to retire. Sell your baby to uh flavors <laughs> corporate as as Lucas said. <laughs> so bringing it back to this issue though, the fact that they use this prejudice as a platform for this story and for the the origin story of Baylor Valance you create a character that is passionately hateful of non-organics. I mean, it drives him. That's what his motivator is. Yes. He is out to get Luke Skywalker because he's friends with those two droids. Droids. And he witnessed this friendship. What an interesting psychological look into self-hatred as well. There was something going on beneath the surface with Lucas and what he was trying to do with these stories. Oh, dude. Because when, you have, if people don't realize, Valance is a cyborg. You don't exactly, find out until the until end. Until the very end. That's, that ending just ramped up the story like a hundredfold. Well, dude, it's truly horrific. I was pretty surprised that this was in a 1970s comic. This is part of the comics code era still as well. So there was govern governance and censorship on these comics. But I mean, you become what you hate, which isn't revealed until the end of the issue. And you find out that Valance was involved in an accident that destroyed half his body at the end. He peels away. No, no, no. He rips. He rips fake flesh off his mechanical body. I'm like, fuck. That's how you end a comic. How did people complain about that? I mean, that was awesome. And it and it took the character of Lance and gave him so much depth. Yeah, I was interesting. Suddenly, he's I was immediately super interesting. Yes, you're immediately you're, interested. You mean to tell me that this guy who borderline is a bigot towards droids? And he's one of them. He hates himself. That just that just adds so much layers to a, a character that honestly, without that reveal towards the end, and it's a very cool reveal. And it's a very cool twist. Valance would have been one dimensional. Oh, yeah. He would have been absolutely one. dimensional. He would have been interesting. Was he cool? Yes. Yes. But, but, but was by, he interesting? Could he sustain a long story arc? No. Yeah. And by doing that, you g- gave this character so much depth that the one thing I always told people is like everyone basically, especially recently, has told me about why is this character so special to you, Dave? Because if you think about it, out of all the characters they could have selected from Legends, they could have gone Kyle Katarn. They could have gone... Kip Duran, Mara Jade. We talked right. about the legend characters that we want in, in past shows. They went with this character. Why? Because he is honestly one of the deepest, most interesting characters you could possibly have. Yeah. And we're going to, we're going to get into his story. Not so much this week, but I think we're going to keep going back to him. Maybe not every week. I don't want to. Yeah, I don't want to. (laughs) Exactly. But we'll get back into his story a little bit later. And I'm even thinking if people dig our Marvel discussions on the 1973 or 77 run, then I'm willing to go back and cover the issues individually as well. But we'll get to that later. So overall, this was a fun little read. I uh, particularly like all the ideas that Lucas had been toying with that never made it into the movies. Some of the ideas good. Some of the ideas 
bad. Bad. <laughs> it's uh, downright shoddy. Just terrible. Talk about the green bunny. Here's the thing. People give shit about Jackson. But my God. That was a leap of faith. What a leap of faith? Because like when, when you think about this it. This is pre-Jar Jar. Come on. But Jackson's so much better than Jar Jar. Well, he's not silly. <laughs> he's not silly. The look of him is silly. But like down deep inside, he, Jackson the rabbit. He looks like the Donnie Darko bunny. Yeah, he's actually a, he's actually an also interesting character from the Marvel comics that basically a lot of people don't talk about because, oh, it's a giant green bunny that it runs around in Star Wars. Are you kidding me? Like, no, trust me, Jackson and his partner. Oh, dude, that was that was George Lucas. To a T. Because Am- Flash Amiza, Amiza, Amiza Fox train. Look at Amiza Fox train at Jackson. I just called her Hottie McGee. <laughs> like I'm not kidding. The, it's it's a it's an homage to the pulp silliness Absolutely. of like Flash yeah. Gordon yeah, for sure. Yeah, and and you look at you look at his partner. She's pretty pretty much naked, boobs and hips, boobs hips everywhere, wielding yeah. dual guns, killing. Just, come people. on, there's nothing wrong with that. Oh my god, I, I I'm serious. I really loved this era of Star Wars because of the silliness. Because you're a toxic masculine a toxic masculine is because we talk like this and we like boobs and it's it's frowned upon you're not supposed to like that stuff david i'm not supposed to like it you're not supposed to like it yes (laughs) i like your version of a masculine voice better than mine mine sounds like uh i'm forcing it because death and destruction follow in his wake that's all masculine (laughs) and all the only people that are masculine the, everything bad happens to them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Jackson was an interesting choice. <laughs> I will say that. Now, interestingly, he was never put in the movies. I know he. <laughs> Are you surprised? <laughs> well, I wonder. I would like to find out. Again, I don't know. Uh, maybe I'm dropping the ball, but maybe Lucas had some plans to put him into Empire Strikes Back and it didn't work out. Um, But he's a character that didn't people were okay with him in the 70s. And maybe he's a reflection of the time. Maybe. Oh, absolutely, dude. Okay, because maybe Lucas put him in there. Maybe it wasn't such a bad idea in 1977. But now flash forward to 2019. Imagine if we had a big green bunny in (laughs) Empire Strikes Back. Well, you know, my my. My refute to that is we have a giant walking brown carpet called Chewy. Yeah, he's legit, though. Come on. <laughs> we have Wookiees. We have Wookiees around. So could we have a big, gigantic green rabbit walking around in a spacesuit? I think we could. <laughs> All Come right. On. So uh, Jackson is part of the Lepi species. Uh, they are a sentient rabbit species. Yes. Ranging in color from green to dark blue. Uh, They are meat-eating. Yes, they are. Their distinctive features were long ears, feet, and buck teeth. And they're native to the planet Coachella. (laughs) (laughs) You have to be from Coachella to understand this one. Dude, it's not good, man. But but here's the thing. It's making you laugh about it, though. It's not bad. Yeah, the it holiday be- special made me laugh, too. It doesn't mean it's good. <laughs> I can see George Lucas going, yes, giant rabbit. Yeah. Green. 
on him from Coachella. <laughs> I got to balance out this over masculinity of Baylart with a green rabbit. And the funny part, funny part is too, even by in today's standards, Jackson is still one of those characters that's not forgotten because like my favorite thing that, the, that they ever uh, released was now Star Wars releases variant covers of all their comics, right? One of my favorite Star Wars variants, yeah, Star on. Wars variant number one was Jackson the Rabbit being held back by the entire cast of Star Wars and Jackson's trying to get into the universe and everyone's like, going, no, no, you can't. You're not allowed in here. Well, as early as 2014, Marvel Comics Star Wars writer Jason Aaron mentioned yes. the giant bunny rabbit <laughs> as the Legends character he would most like to canonize do it and do it, he was Aaron. featured as you said in several variant covers including one of star wars number one skywalker strikes on march 19th 2018 a character resembling jackson was yes. seen on ord mandel in bounty hunted the sixth episode of the canon animated micro series star wars forces of destiny yeah, that's See, what... that's the only place I feel like he would <laughs> he would fit in. If you want to bring him back into canon now, because he was on a variant cover, Dave, it, people are saying he <laughs> he's canon. Yeah, well, okay, so he appeared in Star Wars canon in Lost Eggs of Liv Lavimo. Yes, a comic penned by Kevin Scott. So he is technically in canon now. Technically. Technically, it was published as the secondary secondary story of Star Wars Adventures Annual 2018 that came out April 18th, 2018. So he is technically canon once again, how they use them and if they use them. We will see if this works Dude, out. What happens if he comes in in resistance? Oh, uh, okay. Well, he might he might work in resistance. <laughs> he might work in resistance. Dave, you seem entirely way too excited for this character. You need to calm down. Oh, dude, because like these characters are the ones that I grew up with. Bylert and Jackson. I had these comics back in the day when my mom collected got me into collecting comics, and I remember these Star Wars comics that I collected, and it, it started me liking Star Wars. And I always like was like going, man, I would love to have Jackson come in somehow. <laughs> just just randomly. Giant six foot tall rabbit shows up, saves Luke Skywalker. Cool. <laughs> okay, Dave. So you love all these ideas. Okay. Oh, yeah, you do. just love them. Okay. Do. How do you feel about Don Juan Quixote? <laughs> okay. All right. Not Obi-Wan. Not Obi-Wan Kenobi, but Don Juan Quixote, because he was also a character that was introduced, I want to say, in issue eight of the Marvel 1977 <laughs> run and was reintroduced into Marvel number 16. It was part of the story of Baylor Valance. Well, Mike, Mike, remember, why we Don said, Juan Quixote? Come we, on, Lucas. We, we said with Lucas, you got to take the good with the bad and the bad. But the good <laughs> we should have known that George that George would do something like this again I like the in the form of Jar Jar Lucas Jar Jar Lucas <laughs> that's his new name Jar Jar Lucas that was Jar Jar Lucas Don Juan Quixote okay all right so Don Juan Quixote was a force sensitive male human who served as a librarian yes a uh, fanatic of the extinct Jedi Order Corrin 
it was his real name, fantasized about being a Jedi Knight. And I guess that's why they cleverly named him Don Juan Quixote. <laughs> Luckily, he has not been brought back into Star Wars canon. What an awful name. <laughs> what an awful name. I can see it now. Everyone wants Lucas to come back and Lucas just goes, all right, I got an idea. Okay. We're going to do a movie. All right. You guys love me now. You guys want me back. You guys are all upset at Disney. Well, here I am. I'm going to give you Jar Jar Binks V. Don, Don Juan Quixote. <laughs> It'll be a fight to the death. <laughs> but, but that's the thing is like, I'm like, going, yes, we have our good. We have Jackson and Bylert. Good. Don Juan Quixote. Uh, I like how you put Jackson ooh. as being good. You're like, no, 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 no that's you, good. You just skip Jackson's right good. past my thoughts on it. Yeah. <laughs> Jackson's good. We have Vaylart. We have Fox Train. Jackson's awesome. <laughs> Jackson's but awesome. No, 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 no. Don Juan bad. Quixote. <laughs> no, you got to You got to take the good with the bad. And, and Don Juan Quixote is the bad. It's okay. No one's perfect. You can't bat. You can't bat a hundred. <laughs> I don't know. Green rabbits. Dude, setting aside the jokes, killing teddy bears. That's what Ewoks are. That's true. <laughs> I mean, I guess essentially if you put an Ewok in this, we would also be like, what the hell? <laughs> exactly. I guess it's, I guess, and truthfully, it's all about how it's executed. Exactly. So who knows what Jackson would look like or this rabbit species would look like if they were included into a movie. I mean, with the right lighting, the right <laughs> attire, I guess it could. The right setting. Yeah. I mean, I brought up Resistance, Mike. Wouldn't these characters fit perfectly in Resistance? Yeah. And it would work. It would work. Well, not Fox Train. A Miza Fox Train would not work in Resistance. Oh, yeah. The little kids <laughs> would wonder what's happening in their pants. <laughs> like, oh, my God. Something's happening. To me. Something's happening. <laughs> What's wrong? I like Fox Trade for some reason. Ha, ha. Where's Kazuda? <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> All right, let's move past this. Okay. Um, overall, I love the artwork because it's something we haven't moved away from to this day. Yes. That's quite the accomplishment and shows the cohesiveness in terms of Star Wars aesthetics. For example, Ralph McQuarrie's concept artwork for Star Wars that was you know, his look, this look that George Lucas used, uh, that kind of resembled the distant future, right? Mm -hmm. An art style that was partially derived from what some call the atomic age or space age, retro futurism. These are styles that were pieced together to create the look of Star Wars. It's what Ralph McQuarrie and Lucas had plotted and planned out. Many, 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 many years ago. And still that style to this date, it's the thing that you can point to. You may say, hey, the new Star Wars doesn't have this or it doesn't have that. But one thing you can't say is that the look of Star Wars has always remained intact, whether it be an animation, a comic book, a movie, hopefully even TV shows. Never changed it. It's, it's never what, changed it's it. What's, it's the single governing cohesive quality of all of star Wars and these comic books. And we're going to just focus on number 16, obviously is a perfect example of that. Even the comic books. And I think that's why I still enjoyed reading this despite mm -hmm. some of the silliness. 
it doesn't feel dated. Like if you no. pick if you pick up an old Spider-Man comic from the 70s or 60s, there is a disconnect there. There's You're a like, disconnect. Oh, you know, this doesn't really feel like the Spider-Man of the, you know, 90s, uh, early 2000s or even right now currently. But with Star Wars, you can pick up that comic book and still feel like it's not too old. Yeah. Because of the style. And give I give a lot of credit towards the artist because the artist who did the artwork in Star Wars during this time mm-hmm. w- was a legend. It was Walter oh, yeah. Simonson. Oh, yeah. And Simonson is so infamous with Thor and building the visuals of the, that 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 mythos of Asgard. It fits perfectly with Star Wars because you're dealing with that kind of like futuristic, almost medieval kind of mesh where it's it's retro. What was the term? I uh, Retro futurism? Retro futurism. What? <laughs> say it again. Wow. I just had a stroke. Say it again. I'm going to make you say Retro it. Retrofuturism. There you go. There you go. Uh, That's but, all right. We all mess up on the words and stumble through them. But the fact that basically Simonson was doing these comics back in the day and now nowadays everyone looks at Simonson as kind of like one of the biggest legends artist wise yeah. in Marvel mm-hmm. and he did the Star Wars line. He understood his type of art mixed well with McQuarrie's. Yeah. And it amazes me when I look back at these comics, I'm like going, man, I what I always wondered would, what would Ralph McQuarrie's comic book look like actually, actually done by oh. him. Yeah. Because it's something we'll never know. It's something we'll never know. But the, I think the closest we'll ever get is Simonson's artwork. Yeah. Because they both have that same, that same theme. I, I want to say, style. I want to say the guy, Tom Veach, he say his name. I believe he worked in the late nineties on the dark horse comic run. And I think he did the work with, um, on dark empire. And also yeah. the, I forget his name. I forget exactly what he works on, but I believe his style was very reminiscent of this as well. Very, I mean, again, all of it resembles Ralph McQuarrie's look, but really, I mean, that's what they focused on was making sure every moment in that comic resembled something that Ralph McQuarrie worked on. Because it helped us actually look at it and say, this is a Star Wars story right. because it has that look. And me and you have always harped about this, that anything that comes out about Star Wars has to feel like Star Wars, right? Well, absolutely, yeah. The imagery is one of the biggest key components of what makes a Star Wars story yeah. so special. I would definitely agree with that. And there was a mixture of styles, a mixture of genres, I should say, used to govern this issue. Also, there was a bit of pulp flair, similar to oh, Edgar yeah. Rice Burroughs, mm-hmm. and it's all in these old Marvel Star Wars comics, and it was such a great setting for an introduction of the cyborg-type character like Valance. Valance. It was great. I really enjoyed reading this origin story of, well, retconned origin story. Yeah, I was actually, uh, I was going to ask you, now that you've actually seen the Legends origin of Valance, mm-hmm. compare it to the origin story that they gave us now in canon. And I... You know, both I, are very well done. I think the heart of Valance is there. It's a very different origin story. He still has a chip on his shoulder and has a badass flair to him. Yes. And I feel like that's there. But 
if you were to use his original origin story where he's hunting down, let's say it wasn't even the droids. Let's say it was Luke Skywalker, right? Which I think it was Luke Skywalker. He was angry, right? That's yes. what it was. He was angry that he befriended droids or something like that. Yes. Um, I feel like having yet another bounty hunter or warrior hunting down Luke or Han or Leia would just be more the same. Mm-hmm. We've already seen it. At this time, we didn't. So it worked in 1978 when this premiered. But in 2019, we've seen it, been there, done that. But what haven't we seen? We haven't seen uh, a formidable, formidable foe put his sights passionately and solely on Darth Vader. Yes. And that's what's intriguing about the new storyline mm-hmm. is that he's out to get Vader. He still has a chip on his shoulder. We haven't learned exactly why yet. But it is an intriguing origin story that I dig. So I feel like the new one that Robbie Thompson is a, a way better decision. I think it's a good direction to take it. I think the the thing that is missing to me is that element that basically me and you were talking about Valance earlier was about like delving into the fact of his self-hatred and self-loathing and his prejudice against me- uh, mechanical beings like droids made him so much more than a one-dimensional character. But it, it, I don't I don't think we can say that it's missing definitively yet though. Yeah, we can't say it yet. We don't have the complete story. And as we know, I believe in the second issue of Target Vader, they did show some backstory. And there is a connection to the Empire and his freedom. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure we'll get there. Because we'll yes, as of right now is a little shallow. Uh but I feel like it's going in the right direction. Now, bringing it back to here, Dave, give me your final thoughts on the introduction of Baylor Valance in Marvel's 1977 number 16. I'm going to be very biased, but I don't care. I give this, I give this score a 99. Oh my God, David, that is so unrealistic. <laughs> it's, it's a 99. A 99. But I, I, I'm being honest with our, our listeners that, Hey, this is coming from a person who grew up on this stuff. That doesn't make it good. <laughs> you're, you're grading based on nostalgia. Stop doing that. <laughs> but this is something that I got to. I have to. You have the two biggest characters. It is Legends my, Wednesday. It's and Legends we, Wednesday. We, we rewrite the rules we on write, Legends we Wednesday. We rewrite the rules. It's Legends Wednesday. We're supposed to have fun. <laughs> okay. I'll give you that. So, so for me, this is actually, I actually have this comic, this physical comic, and I have, have it graded and slab because it's so special to me. You're a nerd. Because it's the it's one of those comics that got me into Star Wars as a young child. Yeah. You were uh, checking out Amiza Fox Train? Yes. Yeah. yeah. When I got older, I'm like going, I really need more yeah. artwork of Amiza Fox Train. Amiza <laughs> Fox Train um definitely brings it up a score about ten points. <laughs> on my score i'd probably give this like a 70 but because the miza fox train is so steamy i'm gonna give it an 80 an 80 yeah 99. I, I mean i'm trying to look at this objectively i know you <laughs> are not, being a fanboy about it i'm being a fanboy it's really hard to grade this because i gotta take into account that this is a 1977 comic or not yes. part of the 1977 marvel run i should say mm-hmm It's retconned. It's part of Legends. 
George Lucas the had story, a hand in it. George Lucas had a hand in it. But also we have Don Juan Quixote. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, it's only one wrong. Everything else I, is I'm good. trying to figure this out. I'm trying to see what I can get rid of based on the time and just f- kind of cut through the nonsense to get to the story. And yeah, I'll give it an 80%. I think the story is is good. The story is sound. And I think ultimately forget all the silliness and some of the dated qualities or dated aspects. And there's still a pretty cool story there with mm-hmm. Valance. And, and on a serious note, as I said, I gave this a 99 based on my fan, but on a serious okay. note, I honestly feel that this is the story that was being told here needs to be appreciated because it's a very, it's was very brave to actually talk about a story about prejudice during that time. And that's why we're celebrating on celebrate. I can't talk. Can we end this show? That's why we're <laughs> celebrating it on legends Wednesday. Wednesday. All right, we need to wrap this discussion. I want to thank everybody for tuning in. Please remember to head over to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Rain Man Digital, and pledge $5 or more a month and gain access to a plethora of Star Wars discussions. You get five days a week. Monday through Wednesday is free. Thursday, Friday is exclusively available to our Patreon subs. So go over there and pledge. Get more content. Thank you, David. May the manly force be with you. Yeah. Ah, yes. Ah!